What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning back into the show entitled Rumble Young Man Rumble with me, your host, Vincent Olumayo Kung Fatty Nipo, better known as Olu. Today, we dive into it with Jermaine EJ, co-founder and chief people officer at The Ground Floor. Now, The Ground Floor is a innovative co-working concept that is taking over the Bay Area. They have two locations, one in San Francisco and a new location that just opened up in Oakland. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is not your typical co-working space. Ground Floor is a inclusive community of people from all walks of life looking to build meaningful relationships. On this episode, we talk about Jermaine's discovery. We talk about who he is, where he comes from, and how he got to this point. We talk about the discovery of Ground Floor and how he came all the way from London to San Francisco to work on this idea with some friends that he gained along the journey of working at other startups. We talked about his passion for product. We talked about his failures and how he turned a leaf on those and how he took all of those lessons and is pouring them into making this journey a success. To learn more about the podcast or me, follow us on Instagram, R-Y-M-R Podcast, or my personal Instagram, Olumayoku, O-L-U-M-A-Y-O-K-U. And at last, we are in season two, so we have our YouTube channel up. This episode is also available to see on video, and that's at Rumble Young Man Rumble Podcast on YouTube. But all in all, thanks for being a part of this journey with me. Enjoy the episode. Millennial Pernod Network, Rumble Young Man Rumble. Ladies and gentlemen, it is your humble and gracious host, Vincent Olumalku, Fatanipo, better known as Olu. We have a special guest today. You can see him in all of his valor, <laughs> sitting on the couch next to me. Um, it's extremely honored to have this conversation. Uh, this guy and his team are making waves in the Bay Area. Uh, they have a wonderful startup that you've probably already heard of. They've done a ton of campaigns online via social media. That's how I saw them first. Um, and the concept is called Ground Floor. Uh, it's essentially, it's a co-working space, and they're making waves. So I'll let you explain a little bit more. Brother Jermaine, welcome to the show. Rumble, young man, rumble. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming out. So explain to us like your concept and, uh, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so ground floor, where do I start? Um, pretty much, it's like a work and social club. Um, so concept really was born out of the fact that, you know, during the whole pandemic, uh, pe- a lot more people were obviously isolated, moving to the whole transition to like remote work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for us, um, especially being like in our late 20s, um, you know, there was a lot of like great perks about working remotely. Um, but then after a while, it gets hella boring. I think it gets hella boring anyways, mm-hmm. super tedious. And so we'd always wanted to envision like, you know, what what is like the next step for um, just like the office culture, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of it derives around like socialization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you go into the corridor, mm-hmm. just like nod at someone or say, yo, what's going on? Um, but when you're working alone, that that just don't happen. So I think we wanted to try and understand and build that culture um, back into a, a destination type place that people could go to. Mm-hmm. But that was very localized and close to where they live. Mm. Um, so that's like the that's like the key difference, um, I think, for, for what, when we talk about 
our work and social club um, because a lot of traditional social clubs and co-working spaces were always based in downtown so like more densely populated areas of the city um, just because that's where the offices were um, that's just where people hang out but obviously COVID has like flipped everything on its head um, people don't want to commute anymore people are staying at home so how do we bring that to them and so for us it was like let's create a social space um, for the individuals that intentionally wanted to be around others like-minded same values and just be able to like chop it up in the daytime as well as that like, work but also be able to like have that like, authentic connections mm -hmm. so that's really what ground floor is to be honest in a nutshell mm -hmm. just like connecting with the um, people that are working remotely and giving them an environment to kind of like come collaborate or just have a, a different look exactly correct yeah yeah, yeah. i tell yeah. people look it's a place where you, you can go to creatively express yourself mm -hmm. in any like shape or manner there's no like rules right so i always tell people it's not a co-working space it's not uh i don't know what else what else do we say it's like not a library it's not like a gym mm -hmm. um it's not a restaurant it's not a bar mm -hmm. um it's everything it's literally everything in between all mm -hmm. of those things um and you know the way that we look at space um is in a very what I like to say, modular and dynamic fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is that what you'll notice nowadays is there's a lot of retail and office space that's currently empty mm -hmm. um, due to the fact that obviously a lot of companies either didn't want to pay for space anymore because employees have moved remote and they like it, or just, you know, the wave of the fact that the pandemic took out a lot of businesses. Mm -hmm. And so people don't really understand what I guess, you know, the next brick and mortar looks like. So mm -hmm. that's why a lot of shop fronts are still empty. And so for us, we, the way that we look at it is like, oh, this is a great opportunity because, you know, you can have different, you can have this space take up different forms, mm -hmm. um, ones that really appeal to people. And so, you know, Ground Floor, for example, hosted like a runway show uh, two weekends ago. Um, and this is the same place that we're talking about where people go to co-work from. Uh, as well as people go to do like wellness classes as well. Um, so it really is, you know, it's what you make it. Um, and I just think that no two people's days are the same. So it's really important that you like recognize that in, in any product that you build nowadays. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, you mentioned the word product and by trade, you're a, a product manager, correct? I am. Yeah, I am yeah. One of those so, guys. Yeah, so like you're deep into like the data, you're kind of understanding like where things are moving. And that's like your primary role with the company, right? Yeah, yeah. So I do, so literally I'm in control of memberships. So one thing I did, forgot to mention is that um, everyone needs to apply to join Ground Floor. So it's a curated membership. Exclusive. Base. Yeah. Uh, no, wait, hold on. Not exclusive. <laughs> Not exclusive. We are by definition inclusive. But let me tell you about it. So what I mean by we're inclusive but exclusive at the same time is just the fact that for us, we're trying to, create a place where people have the same intentions. Sure. And so, you know, it's more about a mindset yeah. because if you want to potentially create new connections, mm -hmm. you need to be very open to that. And, you know, not many, I feel like, you know, people nowadays um, are becoming a lot more open, but some people know what they want. Some people are socialized to the max. They don't need any more friends, mm -hmm. no new friends, all of that. Um, but, I think for us, it's a case of like, we just understand that if you do come with those intentions, the experience just is elevated by like 100x. Yeah. Um, because you know that I can approach you because you're here for the same reason. Right. Whereas going to a coffee shop, for example, 
or like to the gym, I ain't necessarily gonna just go and approach you because one, I don't know why you're here, right? And two, you could just be on your own thing and don't necessarily want to talk to me, right? Yeah, that, that I think that's a that's a very important point because it's like it's like a thing where I kind of related to like starting a job, right? Like you go through this strenuous like interview process, right? And I'm not saying that you guys have a strenuous interview process. So if you want to apply, I think you should. You definitely it's a great should. space. But like you go through this process and then you make it through and you feel a sense of like belonging. Yes. Right. So then it makes you immediately open when you come into this environment. You're like, oh, I'm accepted. Like I did everything that met the bar and these people are in the same like wavelength as me. So I think that's very like as far as like human psychology, that is a very, very like key indicator that you guys really thought this out. Because you could have just opened it up to anybody. Exactly. Like, Let's get as much money as we can. Hundred <laughs> percent. And you know, being a star, being a VC back star, that I think is what a lot of investors obviously would like to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, so there's three things, you know, like I, I always say to individuals, our spaces are trying to cultivate like authentic relationships and face-to-face relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's three key components to that. One is spontaneity, the other one is duration, and the last one is frequency. Mm-hmm. Those are three key components to building, you know, genuine routine, mm-hmm. um, for which is what helps establish and strengthen bonds between individuals as mm-hmm. humans. So, you know, for us, this space is meant to feel like you can come there every other day, drop in, do what you need, and just know that there's going to be other people there, potentially, that you're going to have a conversation with um, that might be different to what you expected. I always say to people, like, I'm not looking for people to tell us about what you do for work. I personally am not interested in that question because it's very transactional. Sounds like you're trying to leverage me. But the the thing that we really do care about is just the fact that People, so like people during COVID out of sheer boredom have become way more creative. I started taking up gardening. I had hella plants back in my flat in London. And, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I want to continue my like, passion in that space, but not necessarily do my friends have those same passions. So does that mean my learning or growth in that space should stop? No, not necessarily. It means that I should go and find other people. So those are the type of people that we're looking for. We're trying to curate this experience of individuals who are very curious mm-hmm. and just are very intrigued to experimentation of new experiences with sure. new people. Sure. Yes, yeah, dope. I think it's, it, it's, do some people kind of relate this to a WeWork space and how do you kind of navigate from that when everybody's like, oh, this is just like a, another WeWork? <laughs> yeah, that's it, uh, And is it offensive when you hear that for some people? It's... <laughs> It's not like offensive. Like yeah. I don't, you know, we, I tell people it's like much, it's much more than that though, sure. right? Is what I like to say. I say, yeah, it's probably got parts of a WeWork. You mm-hmm. can go and work from there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, people are drinking wine in the afternoon or in the evenings mm-hmm. or, you know, going to a dinner party at ground floor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to compare it to a WeWork and call it WeWork 2.0, be my guest. I'm, I'm not really fussed by that. I always tell people like, I don't know, I, you know, it's very hard to define exactly what ground floor is in terms of like from a traditional sense of like, you know, is it a WeWork or is it, I don't know, an office or an event space, correct. But, you know, the ulterior mission has always been how do we make it 10 times easier for mm-hmm. adults to create the relationships in the sure. real world? Sure. And so for us, that's all like, that's all we care about. Yeah. So anything that contributes to that mm-hmm. is what we're going to build. Um, so, you know, 
it's uh, it's up to people what they call it, but yeah. it's it's doing what it needs to do. Yeah, it's dope. So you guys have uh, two locations now. Yeah, so you got the Mission location, okay. uh, which opened up nearly a year ago. Mission um, and what? So 16th and Valencia. 16th and Valencia, okay. And then we've got our Oakland location, which is opening up in April. Okay. Um, and that's going to be on 41st and Telegraph. Okay. And then we are scheduled to open in San Rafael um, in May, followed by LA in full. Okay. Did it shut off? It's okay. That's dope. Um, Sorry, this one is What, the actual battery? Yeah, it only has 15% now. Okay, cool. We'll just keep talking until it, it dies off. Um, and, this, and what about this one? I don't know why I did that. This one is low battery as well? Okay. Um, can you pull out your phone for a timestamp so you can edit this out, make it really easy? So it's 11.25. Just tell them to start listening at 11.25. Okay, cool. So uh, Oakland location, and then you guys plan to expand within the next six to nine months Correct. for another three, four locations? Yeah, so we'll in total have another four locations. Man, that's crazy. So you guys been alive for a year? Correct. Like, has it been an official year yet? Uh, it's... It's an official year that Ground Floor Mission was opened in March, March 1. Oh, okay. So March 1 would be the official year of the mission location. Yeah. But you guys have been like working on the concept for obviously more than a year. Yeah. So we've been working on the concept for, let's call it like a year and nearly a year and nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Year and eight. Yeah. Eight yeah. Months. Well, that's pretty quick to like get back, right? And you didn't go through like an accelerator or did you guys? No, 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 no accelerator, Damn. pure angels and VC funds. Damn. So like you guys have just been learning on the way. Yeah, a lot. Wow. So like YouTube University is like something that you guys looked at yeah, a lot. Yeah, all, all of that, man. It's, 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 it's been, trust me, it's been a journey like yeah. to think because I always tell people um, when we initially started raising, like one, the concept wasn't fully formalized. Um, and two, uh, it's difficult to raise for like a physical product, mm -hmm. especially one that involves real estate, mm -hmm. because anything that involves real estate is a logistical nightmare. Sure. Um, what and do you that mean scares. by that? So there's a lot of moving parts that sometimes are just purely out of your control. So mm -hmm. for example, um, you know, we were scheduled to open on uh, mid mid February for the Oakland location. Mm -hmm. Now that's been pushed to April. That's due to the fact that we were working with Oakland Council, um, the city at Oakland, to mm -hmm. you know, try and approve some of our uh, plans to add in like an ADA-accessible restroom. Um, but for one reason or the other... Um, Literally they, just a restroom, and they were giving you guys issues. Correct. And you have to go through a whole rigmarole. Like, honestly, um, I would avoid real estate property at all costs. Mm. Um, if I if I was to do it again, I'd try and just like be like software first. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think I always say that having a physical location is very key to building you know real real relationships. Yeah. So we would never do one with the uh, without yeah. the other. Yeah, that's interesting, man. It's like I think that in today's world, um, it's very honorable to like go into a brick and mortar startup. 
right? Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, it is like, uh, I'm not saying like, it's, it's like the low-hanging fruit because right now in the market, I think commercial real estate is like not as desirable as it once was. Correct. Because of, you know, generally what COVID has done to the world. But that, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be the it three, four, five years from now. Because I think people generally will get tired of like doing everything remotely. You know what I mean? Like I think it's convenient. Yes. But it's like as humans, we are destined to connect. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You know, the way that I look at it is that maybe there'll be a ground floor in every neighborhood and therefore that's yeah. just the new the new thing, you know? That's just a new way of life. Yeah. Um, Cha-ching, too. <laughs> this guy. No, all, all 50 states. I'm, I'm just about building, you know, a legacy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Adam Newman, I think, what was his exit for, uh, for WeWork? Those numbers are ridiculous. Luckily. Like, Bill. Yeah, his his exit on when they, I mean, obviously it, it crashed and burned before they went public, but just like the rise of WeWork, you can you can see that this business model can be repeated if it's done the right way. Correct. If there's an intentional approach, right? Yeah. yeah. The way what I believe was Newman's downfall, all WeWork's downfall, was trying to generally open up new locations too quickly without knowing the exact finance finances it was going to take right so they were in a lot of debt right um they had like half oh you know sort of half built we works sure. literally all over the world sure. um and you know it goes back to this whole real estate just being a logistical nightmare you're relying on like contractors builders like mm-hmm. that stuff's just it's a personal relationship like mm-hmm. it's a really you know there's no tech that's gonna speed up like a building to be built like tomorrow it just sure. doesn't exist sure. um so i think you really do have to be very personable um and just have really good relationships with sure. externals that you are working with sure. i think that has really been like a key success of how we've managed to open up yeah. ground floors quite quickly yeah i think that's that's that is a good perspective to have, especially like as a founder, is uh, being open to first understanding like your weaknesses. Like you have to study all the weaknesses of your market, and you have to understand like your business model, what finances it's going to take, and then you essentially run skeleton until it's really time and things have matured, right? Correct. So it sounds like you're, you guys are doing like a lot of the work. We're doing it's, it's everything. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's tiring. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not gonna lie to you. It, yeah. it is very tiring. I think um, you know, I I wake up thinking about ground floor. I go to sleep thinking about ground floor. I wake <laughs> up in the middle of the night about ground floor. Like it generally, like my co-founder um, last Friday, like left me a message. It must have been. He said he didn't sleep the whole night. He's like trying to just figure out: is this the right path? Is this the right direction? Sure. Are we making the right moves? Sure. You need to be very. Ca- There's a lot of money on the line. Yeah. Like it's these buildings that we sort of like develop. We obviously look at, you know, sort of like derelict or just like underloved properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're p- investing a bit of like time and money. Mm-hmm. So it just needs to be right mm-hmm. because you only have one shot. Right. Because right. so. once you launch it, you launch it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think we we dove, and I'm willing to dive more into detail of like how you guys. Uh, 
I guess like formulated the business model, all this other stuff, and then kind of talk about the details and what you see as far as product side, because I think you can speak very well to that. But I actually want to talk about like your origin, like where everything started for you, where you're from. Um, so like give the people a general idea of like uh, where it all started for you. Yeah. Um, so Nigerian, but born and raised London. Shout out the London man and that out here um, in the Bay. But yeah, man, it started started in Northwest London. Um, used to live in a place called Edgeware. Um, and then family moved us out uh, a bit further to like the suburbs, mm -hmm. have a bit more of a quiet life and that. Um, and I think, you know, as I was approaching, I guess you guys call it college, we call it university over there. Uni. Uh, uni and that. Um, <laughs> you know, I started to really think, started to spend a lot of time just thinking, you know, where does, yeah, where does my destiny lie? Where's my purpose? I'm like a very big believer of purpose and wanting to just, yeah, support, support the people around me, especially my parents. They did a lot um, for us growing up. Didn't have much, but they gave us like everything they could and it was sick, like just set us up properly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, getting into uni, um, I ended up doing law, not, not, not by choice, but by choice, but my parents were like... Law, yeah. engineering, or medical. Yeah, exactly. There's no... Pretty th much. Yeah, there's nothing around it. Yeah. I wanted to do history, and they were like, what are you going to do with that? Become a historian. I was like, all right, cool. You would be a loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they weren't feeling it. They weren't feeling it. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. We'll do that. Um, so yeah, did law, and then came out of that, went to business school for a year, um, University College of London. Mm -hmm. um, and I think during that year was the time where I really started to think, okay, I'm coming out, as soon as I come out of this, I need to find what sector I'm looking to go into. Mm. Initially, I wanted to go into private banking. I just wanted to make money. That was the truth. Like every, yeah, you know, like everyone else, but I thought I had a head for it. Um, but things turned out that, yeah, I weren't that mathematical, so mm. that weren't flying. Um, but then I managed, I think I managed to luckily, um, just due to the fact that I represented Nigeria in rugby um, when I was younger, um, a job that I applied for at American Express, um, the head woman who was uh, sort of recruiting for the role knew someone that I had played rugby with and I mentioned it randomly. And she was like, oh yeah, I know that. And that was really the way that I managed to get my first role and that was in digital analytics. Um, I definitely did not have the experience for that role. Mm. I was out of my depth. I was told that, you know, this is a sink or swim situation, but we like you. So it was it was that kind of, yeah, that that was that's always been my like motivation. It's like I had this start, so just try and make the most of it. And I think from there, I spent two years there, mm. left there, and then I actually left there to go and run a, my own startup with one of my friends now who lives in Bangkok. Um, and that was like a football live streaming debates uh, startup. Um, and we actually raised some capital for that. I don't know how, because we knew nothing. We were 23 and we were just like, yeah, we need this cash to like, it was really early. I feel like a lot of companies, startups were, and founders were like raising just money. And we were like, yeah, we may as well try. Mm -hmm. um, and just managed to, yeah, raise a bit of capital, like around 250K mm -hmm. um, to do this. But what we very quickly realized is that we didn't know what we were doing. So that money disappeared very quick mm -hmm. within like nine months. Jesus. 
Um, looking back at it now, you know, we think we should have just pocketed that because the investors never cared anyways. But, um, you know, I think we, we did that. We left, um, stopped doing that after another year of, of it. And then I went back. I think I spent a lot of time just trying to think, you know, what I liked from, you know, this startup that I just previously founded. That um, idea. Yeah. And what I realized is that I have really good relationships with like engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, engineers, well, stereotype is like they're introverted. So it's very difficult for, for them to interact with certain individuals. And so what I found out is that I'm quite a relatable person. And I don't know, it just seemed to click. And so I was like, oh, it'd be great to just like lead a bunch of like, into, not even lead, but help guide and steer a bunch of intelligent people who can build like amazing things and so that's where my interest in product really started to drive and then I was like all right let me apply for some product roles applied I got nothing and this was I was like 26 at this time so I was like I need a job quick because I'm running out of funds what it died okay what about that one is it dead too Um, yeah, but if it's not, just move that camera here so that, and then put that one on the charger so that we can have it, put that and then, um, somewhere on the, on the counter or on the table. Yeah. Is there not like a plug? No, it's not, there's no plug. It's just the battery. Which I charge it for like three hours. I'm not sure why. Can bro? Yes. Damn, it's dark. Oh yeah. Also, let me know if I'm talking too much, bro. No, no, I can no, get to the... Yeah. the. The whole point is for you to talk the most. Okay. Um, <laughs> just because it's like when people are listening to, I mean, they hear me all the time. I just did a solo episode to wrap up the year. I talked for literally an hour and forty minutes. Okay. So they hear enough of me. Yeah. Okay. You know cool. I mean? cool. I'm here to ask the right questions and like really dive into like the details because like there's there's people out there that that kind of want to start their own thing or like feel encouraged by like someone that looks like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Nah, nah, for yeah. real. All right, we're cool. Yes. Um, in case you lost your train of thought, you're talking about leading the group of engineers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I forgot to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to remember that as well, but I could, it left my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, so what, yeah, what I realized is that I really enjoy um, working with in, engineers, really smart individuals. Um, I wanted to find out how can I be a bit more embedded in the process of, you know, creating cool things. Sure. Um, and so from after, so, so what I did was there's a accelerator program, which is quite popular to some people. It's called Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the accelerator program that obviously the likes of Airbnb, Coinbase, all them guys came from. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I would love to be on that program or be around the, start that has been in that program. So what I did was look for 
any London startup that had been to YC. Mm-hmm. Um, found one, but they didn't have like a product role. So I was like, mm. but they had like an ops role. And I was like, I ain't sure about this. But, you know, I was like, usually I find myself like navigating anyways. And like, mm-hmm. as long as I'm like very like sturdy with them, especially to be like, oh, I want to transition into the product sometime. I want to learn. Um, then it'll be a good opportunity. So managed to get the managed to get the ops role, um, just because my background allows for that. Um, and then during my time there, which was around two years. What was the startup called? It's called Fat Llama. So it Fat is, Llama? Yeah, Fat Llama. So it was a <laughs> peer-to-peer rental marketplace. So for example, if you wanted to rent microphones, camera gear, you could rent it from someone who potentially has it in your neighborhood. And that's it. Smart. It was it was very smart. Um, and you know, I worked with. It was a very young team. It was average age must have been twenty seven. Wow. And there was around like fifty of us. I tell you, I, I tell no lies. I have never worked with any like I've never worked with more smart people than I had at that point in my life. Yeah. They, the team was phenomenal. Geniuses. Like, People from Palantir, Facebook, early days, um, Twitter, all of like all of that stuff. People had real exposure um, and who had been like interns or had grad programs, especially in these like early startups. So, yeah. you know, I was like, this is the right place to be. Um, and then during that time, whilst I was doing my ops role, I just would, you know, speak to the engineer engineering team, like try and become like hella buddy buddy with them, mm-hmm. and ended up creating really good relationships. So much so that. They would start saying to their, like, um, uh, I guess CTO at the time, like, oh, it'd be cool if, like, you know, Jermaine could help with this and that. So I'm very grateful to that whole team because, like, they empowered me mm-hmm. to be able to learn the foundations of what product management was. Sure. And so I start getting all of this knowledge. I'll, any little projects on the side, I'll be like, yo, can you help me out? Do this, all of this. So mm-hmm. that really did spark like my massive passion in just product management. And then after Fat Llama, I luckily enough worked, so I did a lot of, I did a bit of product management around like the fraud area whilst Mm. I was at Fat Llama. Mm. And that's quite a niche thing. Mm. Um, But funnily enough, there was another startup um, in in London um, that was looking for a a product manager for fraud. And so I was like, (laughs) That's oh. me. I was like, yo, what's going on? And yeah, and I got that job. That, they were called Cover. And they were a short-term car insurance platform. So you could get, you could borrow your friend's car for like an hour mm-hmm. and just pay for that hour. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a Turo, but like quicker. Yes. Exactly. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, and that's really, so that was my first real product manager title. And yeah. I did that for two years. And then here we are. Yeah. Ground floor. So you exited uh, the cover space and then you essentially, so your co-founders. Okay, this is a great segue. So your co-founders, like where, what are their names and then where did you meet them? Yeah, so two co-founders. One is Jamie um, and the other one's Lutrum. Um, so I can tell you a story about Jamie. Me and Jamie worked at Fat Llama together. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So Jamie was uh, head of operations. Sure. And I was like the operations lead. So we worked literally pretty much every day together. Hand in hand. Yeah. Like yeah. 
for a whole two years. Yeah. So like we've like been through thick and thin. Yeah. Um, we fought hella fires um, together. So I think like during that time, we really created like a really strong bond. Sure. You know what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. Sure. You know, and being able to just like accommodate one another um, sure. really, really well. So that's where I met Jamie. And then Lutrim, funny story is, is that when I was running my first startup, we didn't have any technical co-founder um, to mm. build a product. And a lot of people come up against this issue, um, especially people of color, because traditionally we aren't exposed to like, you know, technical some, shit. Yeah, technical stuff in yeah. terms of like computer engineers. And stuff. obviously I know Nigerians are big on engineering, but that's more in the civil engineering yeah. sense. Yeah, versus mechanical or correct. electrical. Yeah, sure. Um, and so we had to, we luckily enough, we put out hella ads for like, oh, we need someone to help build this thing. Managed to get a guy who was London-based, but was from Kosovo. So if no one knows where Kosovo is, next to Albania. Um, and he helped create a, a small team from, mm. our, from Kosovo, sorry, mm -hmm. um, to help us build this product. Mm -hmm. um, but what we realized is that this guy was just snaking us. Damn, he was taking the idea. He was he was just taking cash and not actually doing anything, any of the work. Oh my god! So it was mainly me, like managing the team that he had created, and I was like, "This isn't really the relationship yeah. that we're paying you for. Yeah, this is the wrong service." Yeah. But there was an engineer in the team called Lutrim who, I we had worked together through this, and I was like, "This guy is." Just, he has it. He's just cold. Yeah. I was like. Where did he get this guy from? Yeah. And then we became really close like during that time. Um, and like, unfortunately, the first original guy, um, yeah. he actually burnt his team. So he actually wasn't even paying them properly. <laughs> and he ended up leaving, disappearing into the night and not paying anyone. Oh, my God. So we're all there like, this guy's, this guy's just gone. Just like <laughs> ghosted everyone. <laughs> And trust me, we went looking for the guy. Like, not in a not in a bad way. We were just like, yo, what's going on? Just trying to figure it out. Just trying to figure it out. But no, he left the face of the face of the planet, man. Um, but I think that brought me and Lutrim together really closely. And then we just became really close, man, and started to like just build do like small side projects. Um, you know, we build like apps and websites for clients who come in or people just needed stuff. Um, because he was really good. Um, and so that became into like a mini business. And I think it allowed me to learn a lot about Trim's strengths. Um and also just like his like leadership yeah. as a technical founder. Yeah. And you know, it's it's been great, man. Like he's he invited me to his wedding. I've been to Kosovo t two, three times. Like, learned a whole different like perspective of life yeah. um, over there. But yeah, that's what really makes the team. And then obviously, when we started Ground Floor, I, me and Jamie, because um, Jamie hit me up to start Ground Floor um, with the idea, and I was like, we need a technical co-founder. I do not believe that. I think it's very difficult to build a startup without a technical co-founder. Yeah. And I would advise people to put themselves in engineering uh, sort of team, like teams or spaces, spaces sure. to try and build those relationships mm -hmm. because those, that, that, that's how my one came about. And then I said to Jamie, like, yo, I know Lutrim, he's dope. Like, he'd be sick. And that was it, man.
That's awesome, dude. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is like you learned from your past experiences. You realize that, you know, you do have good ideas. You do have a passion for connecting with engineers. You know how to build a product. It's just about doing it the right way, Correct. which has kind of led you to this point of like, okay, like if you're going to be in charge of quote unquote product for um, the startup, it's basically like you have two experiences that you can draw from, or several experiences really that you could draw from to say, hey, look, like this is the reality of it. Take the emotion out of it. And this, these are the steps that we have to hit for us to have the best chance of success. Correct. Yeah. Because I think like generally for startups, right, it's extremely difficult to like get out of that dreaming phase and like get into like the actual tangible like bullet <laughs> points of what you have to do. Because the truth is, if you would have never burnt your money on that CTO, you would have never found your, your exactly. technical founder. Exactly. And you had to go through that to like prove to like whatever gods there is out yeah, there that real, you wanted man. it. You know what I'm saying? It and literally, every step has felt, <laughs> I felt like it's been luck, but I was like, nah, it's got to be God because 100%. I don't know how every step has just been so calculated. 100%. Because it hasn't been, I wouldn't say, I'm not saying I, you know, didn't think about all of these things um, but I, I just think like it's just been too perfect yeah so I'm like yeah you know yeah that's real though like and you know I can attest to searching for a technical founder it's extremely difficult one because there's a there's not a lot of people out there that are looking for projects that would take up majority of the time and possibly won't get paid that's that's right. the like the, that's the first that's like the basis the second is how do you build a trust how do you build a relationship with someone with a project that exactly. is your thing, <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is some random person that's really skilled, but do they have the personality? Do they have the care? Do they have the motivation to kind of get them through the tough times with which you guys have went through? Like, so I guess, like, what I would want the people to hear from you is what are some of, like, the early steps that you guys took outside of, like, things falling into place, obviously, but... What are some of the early steps that you took to kind of like validate people? Like going after the CTO or like obviously you had the relationship with the other co-founder, but did you guys validate each other? Like, Yeah, so I think, you know, when, when Jamie hit me up uh, with, with this idea, mm -hmm. um, initially I generally thought it was out of his mind. I thought this is like, because me and Jamie had, had this brainstormed other like startup ideas a few years back now and unfortunately it just wasn't the right time for him he was uh, going through like other life moments getting married and stuff like that so mm -hmm. i was like all right cool so this time he calls me now um because the first time i approached him so this time it's him approaching what was the me. first idea oh that was a last mile yeah last mile delivery start it was like an idea for just like creating like hub and spoke models for uh last mile delivery um, so meaning like so for example Amazon will do like Prime um, in the UK because I haven't experienced it here but Amazon Prime you can order like now and get it like later this evening yeah um, and so what Amazon have done is Amazon bought many warehouses sure. to create a bit of like a drop shipping model to an extent mm -hmm. um, but would build these warehouses in a location that is close to cities where it's very easy for them to deliver directly, you know, on a regular on-demand basis. Mm 
Um, and so for us, we, we recognized that and said, yeah, that's great. Um, but there's a lot of many smaller retailers who don't have Amazon's capacity. Mm. It just doesn't exist. Mm. So we just wanted to build different hubs to host some of these like, you know, packages and stuff so that people could have on-demand delivery a lot quicker. Okay, so like essentially just being like that, uh, that space and time where people can get their packages a lot quicker. Exactly. Okay, cool. Not to sidetrack, but I think I mean it sounds like you've just been in and around startups like for the last five six years, or just creating the ideas or working at some. So like you have a passion for creating and seeing things through from an early stage. Yeah, uh, okay. I think that's where my strongest asset lies is from zero to one. Ah. I don't know about one to two. In terms, <laughs> we'll find out as ground floor develops. But I know zero to one. You know, I'm an ex. I know what I'm good at. I'm an yeah. executioner. Yeah. Like you tell me, I'll get. It, like I just get it done. Yeah. I just get things done. And, yeah. that's, and Jamie told a story recently to the wider team. Um, without me being there, just saying how the reason he chose me um, to call me out of anyone that he knows is because yeah, Jermaine just finds ways to get things done mm -hmm. um irrelevant how it's like just he just does sure. and so that to me has always been like you know if i was to in another life what I'd, i think i'd be i don't know if anyone watches like ray donovan it's a tv show mm -hmm. but like a fixer mm -hmm. just for like certain individuals just be fixing stuff in the shadows yeah i'm just and this is what i say i'm just a guy in the shadow yeah man. yeah i never want to be out there you can see the angles yeah that's sick okay so Back to the original point, you know, validating each other, right? And kind of understanding what the strengths are and weaknesses are um, and, and this team coming together. In the early stages, what were some of the, I guess, challenges of, because you're here, where's Jamie at? So Jamie's in the Bay as well. Jamie's in the Bay as well. And then your other partner yeah, is so in... Yeah, so Lutrim's in Kosovo. So he's on plus... Nine hours? Yeah, plus nine hours. So basically... Okay, so like it started off with you and Jamie, and then your technical team was being built overseas. No, it was just Trim. It's just Trim. Oh, it was just Trim. And yeah. he And he had a team that was like coding all the stuff? No, or? no, no. Trim does everything. It's just... Our, our engineering team is literally... one. It's a one-man band. Right, but the, the, it was a team before, before Oh, yes, correct. With the Back, original guy. Yeah, so, yes, so in my first startup, that was just like a r random team of like... Oh, so you met Lutrin through your first startup. Correct. And that's where the money got burnt. Okay, yes, now yes, I'm making yes, that yes, connection. Yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Lutrin, this was like a fresh leaf. And you were like, yo, this guy's money, let's go get this guy. Yeah, 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 okay. because I had like, I think through getting burnt, me, me and Lutrim created such a great like, mm -hmm. relationship because we had a mutual experience, right? Like that's usually how things work. And what um, was the bill on that getting burnt? Oh, that that's like must have been like a hundred and fifty k or something. Jeez, then sleepless nights, dog. Man, bro. <laughs> I guess that's what it takes, though, dude. Like honestly, that's what it takes. You gotta lose a couple hundred. Yeah, you really do in order to you to really take it seriously and like because naturally you're just talented at just like things just go off you get it done right yeah that's that's very interesting man like because uh, some people actually need to hear that you gotta yeah. go out you no, gotta no, go no, all getting, out and getting getting burnt is definitely you gotta learn from it right yeah um, it's one of those life experiences you know I think it's I'll never ever forget it. Mm. like it, it's definitely etched in my brain for, for forever yeah. Um, 
But <laughs> when you it, see that guy, it's a rapper. Well, no, check this out, should he? So he's on LinkedIn. I see him now. What? He's doing his thing. But, you know, what can, like, there's nothing, you know, we're yeah. adults here. What can we do, man? Yeah. It's just that like, bygones be bygones. Keep it moving, man. Yeah. I ain't got time for that. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are some of the challenges, like, with some of the team now in regards to just, like, or early? Let's talk early. Like, with just the time differences and just, like, calibrating to goals like what what are some of the challenges that you can speak to that you guys got past and someone can hear and can learn from yeah i think you know very early on initially i think big challenge is obviously this transition to remote like Mm. work because you know i think previously you know people would come up with ideas people would be in each other's homes Mm. or like you'll go to like a coffee shop because you would live close together Mm -hmm. like the world has like gone upside down so you're not necessarily going to be in the same time zone as as your co-founder um co-founders for that matter and so i think trying to understand the balance between that is very like it's very tough i'm not gonna lie yeah i've traveled i traveled back to london um a year ago now actually around christmas time and Mm -hmm. i was like working sf hours on like in london time He's working like SFR, I mean, still is today on like Kosovan time. And then Jamie was like here. It's just, it's just a lot of like sleepless nights. It's very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I believe, so what I say, I believe in a thing called asynchronous communication. Mm. So that just means that the comms are constantly going at all times. Like it doesn't matter when it happens. It's just like, just put it out there into the world so that everyone knows, over communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that there's some sort of like, log that this is this is what it is this is what happened exactly just because like it becomes even more critical that people know what's going on if you're not in the same building so that was a that was that was tough Mm -hmm. um you know we've definitely like i always tell even new colleagues who join please over communicate like Mm -hmm. there's no there's nothing silly Mm -hmm. um don't feel shy so that was definitely one i think the other one is just I guess a big one's, you know, fun. Let's talk about it, right? It's, it's fundraising. Mm-hmm. Like, fundraising is hell. Like, how I many did, how many pitches did you guys have to go through before you got the first bag? Uh, so, I, I kid you not, I must have cold emailed at least six to seven hundred investors. Had to find their emails and then code, then email them, and that ain't easy. Yeah, it's not. And you know, people ask me now, how how did you even find those investors? So Twitter is my best friend. Yeah, because it has their email in the bio. <laughs> so what people don't realize is that VCs live on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They do like that's how their business, like it's part of their branding. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole tech ecosystems. You know, everyone's on Twitter talking, mm-hmm. chatting about what's popping what's not who's raising what who's looking for what and so why you know we sort of recognized that and what we just did was just you know find people who had similar affinities or you know fundraise uh sort of like given investment cash to other start adjacent startups Mm -hmm. um in our space Mm -hmm. um and so yeah it took you know we probably had like we had hella knows we had people not 
cola, like all of this jazz. <laughs> just <like>. ignore. <laughs> yeah, just ig- oh, hella ignores, bro. You need to honestly, if I could go back and just show you my like sent inboxes, the same thing, copy and paste like oh, a billion times. It's like you have the first email ignored, then you have the follow up. Hey, this is yeah, Jermaine. Exactly. <laughs> bro, there's a whole process, you know. Talking to yourself, there's whole, bro. There's a whole process. We had like we became so Jamie's very meticulous. Yeah. He is very, very organized. He's mm. very bullish at fundraising. He's very good at fundraising. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole process. We had like specific copy we'll say to certain individuals. We'll have the follow-up copy and then the final chaser. And once you create a bit of a process, it just becomes that second nature. Easy. Yeah. It just becomes second nature. Sure. But you have to do that hard work. Because now, for example, if we go out to raise Series A, it's a lot easier, right? So we've got all those connections. Got those people. People know it. there's a bit of a tra- there's like a track record to an extent. So what is the breakdown for that? Because obviously, you being a new company, there's not a lot of leverage that you have in the VC world. So if someone's going to take the chance on you, I would assume that they want a big piece of the pie. Now, what are these conversations like, and what do you suggest for people to go about it? Now that you've kind of been through that seed round. Like, are they taking more of the pie than you guys have wanted and then there's like an exit on a certain amount? Or is it just a general space where you guys are like, let's just get it done so that we can see it through? And, you know, we can... Because, like, oftentimes I think about what the the quote Jay-Z said when he was like, you can own... uh, What was it? You can own 100% of... You can own like, isn't it like one percent or like hundred percent of nothing? Yeah, hundred percent of nothing or one percent of like Amazon, yeah. or, or for exactly. instance, right? Which is like substantially more than whatever like bullshit idea would produce. But I, I think that the point is like understanding when and where you need to uh, interject capital, right? And like how that leverages presents itself and how it affects you from you know at later points. I think. Um it's actually funny you say that. I think one thing I've noticed is that I feel like people of color do get hustled on negotiation terms, Man. unfortunately. Man. It's the actual, because I think there's not a lot of knowledge yeah. around this stuff. You know, as I say, um, you know, unfortunately, we've, you know, people of color come from like, you know, lesser financial backgrounds. Um, and sort of like the education system is also really tough, I mm-hmm. think, in the sense of, you know, a lot you know, a good portion of white people have come from like a very sturdy, like background home where they're talking, they're already talking about like retirement plan, like saving, all of this investment. Oh, this shit. And yeah. you know, we, by, by, the, by the structure, mm-hmm. um, black people aren't meant to succeed. Like mm-hmm. it's just very against us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think all of that to say, you know, we unfortunately just haven't had that exposure into like the VC world and tech ecosystem, like, our counterparts Mm -hmm. um and so you know i always tell people like you need to one you need to know your own value um is is the first thing but two (laughs) bars you just gotta like i i always say to people if you're gonna raise a pre-seed or a seed for a software driven business i would never let go of if it's pre-seed i'd never let go of more than 12 12 to 15%. Yeah. That's a healthy balance right there. Yeah. I would say pre-seed and seed. That's, that's, that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think anything more than that... Uh, it's kind of steep. Kind of steep, and I don't think the investor really knows what they're doing as well, to be mm-hmm. honest, because mm-hmm. that's not what a traditional VC would look for. Yeah. So that, that's my like, 
sort of rule of thumb type 12 to situation. 15%, yeah. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, people will be like, ah, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you that. Want more equity, we'll give you this cash. But you, you just got to be like, no, man. Because, like, at the end of the day, <laughs> that just kills you because you start to lose control, actual control and stake. Yeah. Like, you got to think there's going to be more rounds. There's going to be, like, employee option pools that you need to think about and bake into these calculations. Like, yeah. People aren't thinking about the different people or yeah. stakeholders who are going to come into this business. Yeah. Don't think short term. Yeah. Do not think short term. Yeah. That will kill you at the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. we, we, even today, we, we always think about, you know, our stakes. Um, how we're going to cut and slice the option pools and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's not more than, like, five of us. Um, six of us, sorry. Um, and so, yeah, you just always got... You need to be hella mindful. Yeah. Hella mindful. Yeah. That's, that's man, that is, that is such a deep point. Because I think... And not to make it about generally our community, but that's just, like, where we lack um, is information. Correct. And that's one of the reasons why I started this platform is to get into the minds of individuals that have kind of been through it. And not to say, you know, because it is pain that you have to go through when you make those mistakes, right? Like when you're like, damn, I started this startup. We just burnt like 300, 400K and I don't really know where it went. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, bro, it's our like, first one, the first startup that I had, bro, we gave away 33%. Yeah. That's Dumb. <laughs> yeah. That's hella, hella stupid. Yeah, bro. So, I get it, dude. I get it. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Literally. You, can make, you have one chance to make, um, you, you know, we'll let you off the first time. Mm -hmm. Second time, you know, they say Pennywise, foolish or whatever. Right. You fool me once, fool me twice, whatever. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's, that's, that's one of the most important things that I can take away from, like, my first go around at, like, trying to start something. It's, like, understanding that the reality is when you take the money, this is forever a part of like your <laughs> nucleus, right? right? And it's a marriage. Yeah, it's a marriage. And if you're not leveraged in the sense of just like it making sense fiscally for you from period to period, it becomes like this corroded type of relationship because it, it then starts to like eat away at the culture. Yes. Because now you're like, okay, if this part is taken away, I have to essentially like build more and like scale in different areas, but that may be taken away from the general movement of just positivity all across the board. Yeah. Right? Because you're thinking about, oh shit, like 33%, 30% equity already given yeah. away. You know what I'm saying? And that's just like from our community, that is just like, how do I say this? It's just like, it's like how my dad says, like being poor-minded, right? Mm. In the sense of just like you wanting it now versus you understanding what the yeah. incremental growth is to get to a real place Correct. where it makes sense. So, yeah, man, that, man that, that hits deep because I think that a lot of people in our community have great ideas. Yeah, they do. They know how to build relationships. Yep. They understand hard work, right? Because they grew up in environments where that's the only thing that got them out of that. But then there's like this this last piece that's like forty percent of just that makes up like this this mm. this founder or this this company starter or however you want to CEO is the information. Yeah, and it's not yeah. all we have Google, but it's not easy to it's not, it's sit not there easy and to read decode, it, bro. It's it, not. It's, I even still struggle today to yeah. understand the different rounds and right. what they entail. And, right. 
How much percentage? Like, it's not. It's not straightforward. Hundred percent. Like, anyone who says it is 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 lying. Hundred percent. If it was straightforward, you know, we wouldn't. Why are there cap table <laughs> management startups? Like, right. Tell me how that makes any sense. <laughs> right. It's like a start for a start. Like what? Like, a no, startup uh, for a startup. Bro, yeah. like that ain't making sense. So look, it's tough. It's difficult to navigate. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the best thing that we can do um, as as a community, especially that us people, you know, black founders and that, is just like, yeah, spread the spread this information and knowledge that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people, please reach out to me like on LinkedIn. Like I'm there. Like mm-hmm. just ask the question. I'm not gonna. Not How can they find you on LinkedIn? Just Jermaine E J I J I E H. Um, I'm I'm there. And so, like, if anyone ever wants to drop a question, like, I'm happy to answer, man. I just wanna, I want everyone to thrive, man, and everyone to succeed. It's yeah. that simple. Like I think, you know, as to your point, like, I think black people have so much creativity, so much knowledge that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I think. There was a stat. I think like uh, black people are like the biggest like consu- consumer group, yeah, um, biggest spending power. Yeah, of, of the USA. But you know we're also, we're not the one majority leading these organizations, which is kind of mad because it's like white people making the products for black people. It's like, like we just need to try and like make it make sense. Um, and it's not our fault whatsoever. It is not our fault. It's systemically a problem. Yeah. But, you know, what we can do, as I said, as um, founders who have raised money, is just try and get that information. Knowledge sharing is wealth, man. Yeah, that's real shit. Emma, can you pull up the buying power of uh, African Americans for 2022? I think it's like $2 trillion. Yeah, where? What, like, where is that money coming from? I'm crazy. I think it is actually. And I was, it's, trillion, something, it's something outrageous. I was like, nah, this can't be it. I was like, this has got to be a liar. Yeah, I'm like, damn, these rappers are getting a lot of money, dog. It's 1.6 trillion. 1.6 trillion? And then what was it? So does this show you a graph of what it was over the last five years? Because I know at some point it was 2 trillion, bro. And the fact that it's... Okay, so the fact that it's 1.8 trillion and it's rising. So it went from 1.6 and projects to 1.8 in 2024 during a pandemic. Like, what? Like that, like I'm literally gonna look at that number and try to figure out like where that all that money is coming from because that that doesn't make any sense. African Americans only make up 13 percent of the United States, and then you gotta account for the individuals that are uh, have you know um, criminal histories. Yeah, you know it's a staggering for black men. Yeah, like. So there's, okay, let's just say it's 13%, and these numbers may be quite wrong, a little bit wrong, but there's 13% African-Americans in the United States. Let's call it, what, uh, let's call it even. So let's, let's say six and uh, a third as far as, like, women versus men. Now, just take half of the men away. That's crazy. And say felony or in jail. Yeah. Or have some implication that don't qualify them for a a legal means of income. Now you can't tell me half of the half of the African American males in the United States are like selling drugs or something. You can't tell no, me that. That's, no, like, hell no, that's, that's what I'm So like you know, you gotta think about like, okay, now are these just athletes, entertainers? Because they're I mean for all of these like boards that you, you know, because I like, we, I'm pretty sure you look at companies, you study companies like via LinkedIn, and you look at their structure and stuff, right? You look at their board of directors, you look at like their C-suite, whatever, right? 
You really see a black person. Yeah. Oh, bro. Hello. So I know these ain't like C-suite niggas spending money. <laughs> these is like athletes, entertainers, like, you know, mid-tier, like, I guess, maybe tech people. So it'd be really interesting to see that graph. But um, back to like ground floor, I think what you guys are doing, is it, it's amazing because for one, you guys have such a story. Right. It's not just like a thing where it was like, okay, you were just trying to make money during the pandemic. You're really trying to connect with people. And then you not being from here. Has that been um, has that been challenging for you? Like not being from here and then having to figure out real estate in a country that you're not from? (laughs) Yeah, it was it was like I'm not going to lie to you. It was a shell shock. It's just. Yeah, like building things in I don't know whether it's just San Francisco or California in general all the states but it it was a steep learning curve man it is it's been very very difficult we're very blessed mm-hmm. that we've like you know made it on the other side mm-hmm. um but there's just you know there's just a lot of cultural differences as well you know I remember what's some of the main ones <laughs> I don't know how people are going to take this but <laughs> I think like I don't know whether it's California. Like things just move a bit slower. Yeah, is like everybody's too lax. Yeah, too everyone's lax. a bit too lax. I remember yeah. when I first came, I was like, "Why are people not moving at our pace, man? I don't like this place. Everyone's just <laughs> a bit too slow." Um, and that really got to me, and I had to really, you know, I had to speak with Jamie about it and be like, "Bro, he was like, yeah, no, man." And then, you know, now we've been here for like a year and a half, nearly. I, I feel like. I'm just like used to it and I'm just like <laughs> it is what it is we now bake we bake that into our schedule the time into the time that we yeah. think that we're going to build these buildings yeah. and all this stuff because yeah people people want to live a good life out here man everyone's into hiking and being outdoors and I love that for everyone but yeah. I'm also trying to you know hustle. run and yeah. trying to hustle yeah. so yeah. Yeah, yeah it's tough that's funny is there any other like differences that you kind of annoys you uh let me think look I think now nah, I think oh yeah, main difference. But this doesn't annoy me. Uh, this one actually helps motivate me. It's just that I feel like everyone's doing something hella interesting over here. It's wild in in the UK, bro. If you're talking about a start, like if we were to start this in the UK, everyone's like, "What's this? Like, what are you doing, bro?" Like everyone's questioning you. Like no one believes in your no one believes in you over here, bro. You hear about people talking about oh, I'm gonna create a jet that like flies to New York in like an hour or something crazy and like everyone's like that's sick like probably like go you like I want to know more about it try say that in London they're like nah man they're just looking at you funny and everyone there's a lot of like it's a very conservative mindset Mm -hmm. in the UK Mm -hmm. like I feel like a great thing about the States is you know really is that like get rich or die trying sort of like you know land of opportunity um you know people do look very favorably on individuals who are trying to do something else a bit different Mm -hmm. um whereas in the uk it's very much like you know we're not told about startups or tech like that like people weren't really trying to promote that they Mm -hmm. just want you to be sort of middle management Mm -hmm. you know do your job um (laughs) just keep quiet you know that type of stuff but so i i do really appreciate that mm-hmm. mindset over here, mm-hmm. I think it's great. And I think that's why, you know, especially like Silicon Valley, SF, sure, this is just like yeah. pure innovation, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I've learned so much being here, man. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a space, you know, San Francisco's home for me. So it's very interesting. Like for the first half of my life, um, this tech space wasn't necessarily here in the way that it's 
been like let's just say in the last like five to seven years right mm-hmm. i think in the last like five to seven years there's been a ton of capital with like different vcs and like different equity firms getting into like these small spaces because they see the incremental growth being like exponential yeah, right correct. like over the years when like you know you create a company like coinbase or a company like uber or airbnb the fact that somebody would sleep in the same house with someone that they don't know because they're on a platform that verifies them exactly. would have sound crazy in like the early 2000s, which it still sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but Airbnb has become one of the most convenient platforms for people to travel and to create means of income. So like this space in San Francisco has like kind of jumped over the people that are from here, mm. which is like some of the points that I like to point to because I think there's no voice for the people that are from here. And I think there's an insens- insensitivity that exists for people that one, weren't exposed to it. And then really to be 100% honest with you, growing up in San Francisco, the best job was like a city job. Okay. Like, you know, like in London, probably like working for the city is pretty for noble. Go, like, yeah, you yeah. Not, yeah, those good wage. Yeah, you know decent. what I mean? So like that was the thing, like growing up driving Muni or like working for any like city type of like job was like, oh, it's stability and yeah. they pay you like two times what a regular employer small business would, yeah. right? Because San Francisco was pretty much split between small business and city jobs, right? Okay. And there was only a handful of city jobs that people stayed in for 20, 25 years, Dang. right? So you that think about cool. like a lot of positions don't get created for cities because the funding generally doesn't change and doesn't keep up with inflation. So technically over time, you lose more jobs than gain them. Mm-hmm. And with innovation and with like these startups, it's interjecting a, a ton of capital, which has then made San Francisco much more expensive than it was. Hella, the and- most expensive place <laughs> in my actually, that's one of the biggest. <laughs> he said that's what it is. The price. Too. How could I forget yeah. the thing that I talk about every day to people back at? Is home? it way more expensive than London? Bruh. Like two times Bruh. as much? Yeah. What? Bro, to get, a normal was- sta- to get a normal sandwich be costing like, oh, $12, like casual. <laughs> people are like, yeah. Like what? Like nah, man. Yeah. You should be paying like three dollars, four dollars. Yeah, three dollars. Yeah, four dollars max. Yeah, yeah. I pay here. Like I've had to like adjust, and it still it burns my soul every day. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's ground floors there. Hey, you gotta thing, learn so. how to cook the stew, bro. Yeah, stew and rice. Need, I need to learn. Did you use to hate stew and rice back in the day, though? Huh? Didn't you used to hate stew and rice? Yeah, I used like, to think it was the most basic thing, bro. <laughs> like, why we keep eating yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't rate it, bro. I, early days, I didn't rate it. Now I'm like, oh, I love it. Like, yeah, right? Bro, as a kid growing up, bro, I had too much rice and stew, bro. Yeah. But now I appreciate it. Right. It's like, damn, like, I could eat this and I could save, like, $400. Bro, <laughs> honestly. All that batch it's cooking so crazy, is so bro. smart, man. I get it. It's, like, so smart. And it's, like, I was bitching about eating, like, this... It's, like, fruits, vegetables... And uh, just like fucking like every good ingredient in it. And then you're also getting your rice, which is carbohydrate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, that's why we were able to run so fast. Protein. Like it's got everything. <laughs> Man, it's a great. And then the yam, pounded yam. It's like, bro, this was like the best diet. And I was fucking tripping, bro. Yeah. We were spoiled, man. Yeah. 100%, dude. I saw that. That's interesting that you say like. Uh, San Francisco is way more expensive than London. I would think that it was right around the same because London is a very desirable place to live, but you're saying it's like pretty big. 
right? London's big. Like, for example, um, I moved out to SF and, you know, I live very central, yeah. um, to be honest. Obviously, it's a small city, but in London, you can't even dare dream of like that. Living but central? That, yeah. It's hella expensive? Yeah, it's just hella expensive. So it's no like similar to San Francisco prices? Like living central? Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, okay, but I no get one it does now. It. But no one does it, you know what I'm saying? But who we does all, it, though? Oligarchs. Uh, rich, what is rich what exactly people. is an oligarch? I think it's just like some uh, like a, a I want to say I was gonna say yeah I believe it's like Russian sort of like tycoon um, oh, made their money from have... like oil sure. steel magnet oh, okay that. shit like that okay yeah um, I post uh, the, um, the the breakdown of the USSR yeah back in the nineties yeah so they basically just made money off natural resources and marginalized everyone free else. for all yeah it's free for all. So. Hmm. Pretty interesting. We should get into something like that. <laughs> no, okay, so we got to get into this this London flow, right? Because I, I feel like, you know, London cats just have a certain bounce about them. It's like a different vibe, right? <laughs> and obviously with the introduction of like Top Boy and like cats like Central C, like there's a lot of people that gravitate towards that, right? Mm. So like let's, let's talk about London for a second. Like the stuff that we see on Top Boy – how like accurate is that? Is I feel it, like every single everybody American be asking me this, <laughs> and I'm like, bro, it obviously is dramatized, but like things do like things do happen. Like it does pop off in London yeah. in certain places. Do you know Deshane? No, I don't know. <laughs> this guy's not serious. <laughs> Deshane. <laughs> Yes, show sick. Like, hey, do you top boy, sick. Yeah. Do you watch it? Yeah, yeah, top, yeah, yeah, of course, man. But when you watch it, are you kind of just like... Mm. It's changed now, because I feel like Drake came in, Mr. Cultural Appropriator, always yeah. needs to have like a piece of the pie. Yeah. It's like, bro, relax. Like, Big we just time keep, forward. Yeah, we just want to have our own thing. Like, allow it, bro. Like, <laughs> always needs to come and like... Commercialize but, yeah, it. Yeah. Like, but like, so the initial top boy, so... Mm -hmm. The one that people see, so you have like the original season of mm -hmm. Top Boy, um, mm -hmm. which was not, I don't know if it was Summer House or Summer House was the second season, but. That's the one that's, that, that's like the first, first one when Dwayne is like young. Correct. And yeah. Shelly is, or Scully. Yeah, Sully, Sully. Sully is Sully. like a little bit older than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that one. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the Shane and Sully are there. Um, and that was like original, very gritty, very close to yeah. what, how London, what, like, that was what London was like. Those projects it. exist. Yes. So that, is, so that is actually based off of a place called Tottenham. And those exact projects are uh -huh. called uh, Broadwater Farm. And that's West? No, so that's North London. Oh, so that's where you grew up at? No, so this, London's a funny thing. So I grew up proper North London. So, like, out, uh, suburbs. So, north, north, north. Yeah. Okay, Whereas okay. Tottenham's deep. Like, okay. North London. And that's, like, more, like, more central. south. Yeah, more, more central. central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, it's crazy. Like, that's fucking nuts. So, what is the, what, are, what are, like, projects like there? I mean, because I, I feel like you probably wouldn't have much to relate it to other than TV here. But, like. Like The Wire. It's pretty much like the wire out there. Yeah, it's the, it's it's the like, same shit. It's the same. Just yeah. like not as many guns. Guns, drugs. Yeah. There's not as many guns. No. But it's definitely, I think, uh, landscape. I don't know. I feel like landscape's definitely got, it's got a bit worse and the crowd has started a lot younger. Oh, like they start thugging younger. Yeah. That's, that's the very Which dangerous. is the problem. Yeah. Because their brain hasn't fully formed and yeah. so. And they don't know anything else. 
correct. Yeah. That's so that's weird. that's the real that's the real issue people are talking about in London. It's like unfortunately, like need to find new things for younger kids to be doing. Because crime has went up substantially in the area. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. So like, okay. So growing up in London, like, what are what are like some of the things that? Because like how I look at it is being Nigerian in America, right? To be honest, it was not cool until like maybe five years ago to whisk it. But like in London, everybody is not like, they're not like, oh, I'm black, African-American. They're like, oh, I'm from Ghana. I'm from Nigeria. I'm from whatever. So it's like more of like you're connected to your culture and it's like a proud thing there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would like, uh, it's very rare for, like obviously I'm British citizenship, but I'm Nigerian. Sure. So like people ask me, I'm like. And you was never, nobody ever like made fun of you for being Nigerian. They were just like, oh, that's sick. That's cool. Yeah, they're just like. Yeah, that is so crazy. That is so fucking nuts. Here, it's the total opposite because obviously with the the lineage of like slavery, right? There's a lot of like self hate that exists with being black because for one, we just talked about the resources that don't exist in our community as far as information. Like I think another thing that doesn't exist is like identity. Yeah, because where are you really from? Like, you can draw it back to, like, where slavery started. Maybe somewhere in Louisiana. Maybe somewhere mm-hmm. in, like, Texas, Virginia, whatever, right? But before that, you had a place. Yes. Somewhere in West Africa. So here, it's like, oh, you're an African booty scratcher or, like... Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it's wild, bro. Or, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, bringing... Like, I remember my mom used to bring me rice and stew to school. And I used to be like, fuck, I don't want to eat this shit in front of everybody because they're going to start, like... <laughs> It used to be like, and you open it, and it has all of these like smells yeah, and everything yeah, else. Everybody's like, "Damn, what the fuck is that? You ain't got no regular sandwich." Yeah, when, you know yeah, what I'm saying. I get what you're so saying. So it was really tough growing up. So like, I'm curious to hear like how it was in London. Obviously, you kind of touched on it already, but like from an early age, do you remember just feeling so uh, connected to your culture and proud of it? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I would say so. I think the old, obviously, with the likes of like just big Afrobeat artists, mm-hmm. definitely like helped like heighten that. Mm-hmm. And, like now, Afrobeat, West Africa, everything's cool in mm-hmm. Africa now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think growing up as a kid, um, I've obviously come from a very deep like Nigerian household, mm-hmm. so um, it was always very close to me mm-hmm. um, by, by by nature, by design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in school, you you know, people don't really, people don't really ask that question too tough, like where, you, where you're from, where you're growing up like that, mm-hmm. to be honest. It's like a it's very different. Well, so this is what I clocked when I moved here. Um, I'd speak to, uh, me and my boys are always talking about my boys from London saying how it's very different, like, minds, like, I think African, I mean, like, black African-Americans are different to us mm-hmm. in, because similar to your point, like, you know, we're very connected to where we're where our parents have come from, we're mm-hmm. probably like first or second generation. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's obviously like through like slavery, which can be tough to find those roots, and therefore one becomes more Americanized than right. they are from like Africa. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, it's something that we have definitely become a lot more prouder mm-hmm. of. Um, but we've always been, we've always been proud, man. We've mm-hmm. been proud. But no, I would never be like, oh yeah, I'm English, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, lads. But yeah. that's that's not my thing. Like yeah. I'm British for sure. I'm not gonna deny. It. I'm not. Right. You know, we're we're from London, and that's that's what it is. Um, but we are. We fully know our roots and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Do you feel like your accent gets you more access here in the states? Like honestly, like when you speak on the yeah, phone with somebody, 100%. 100%. they're like, 
huh, this is interesting. Oh, all the time. All the time. I think, you know, even like just in day-to-day life, as yeah. soon as I open my mouth, people are like looking like, oh, um... So uh, where are you from? And all of this. And I'm like, you know where I'm from, bro. Like, it's not, <laughs> like don't try it. Like, you're just trying to start a conversation now. Yeah. Um, so that's different because in the UK now, like even, you know, going around, like I always say there's like passive, passive racism in the UK. Whereas over here, it's mm, much more overt. Break that down. The passive racism. What does that look like? What does that feel like? That's like, you know, like, so the best example is like, they won't be racist to your face, but you know, back at home, they're like, ah, oh, look at this. Look at this black boy <laughs> taking, taking our jobs and taking our money and all this stuff. 100%. Do they, call, you, do they say the ER out there or do they just say A-H? I mean, what, you mean as in? Like, do they say nigger or nigger out there? I don't know. Just like, they don't, they don't I, say I heard, Who, the white people? Yeah. Have I ever heard a white person? Probably, that is so fucking crazy. They don't say nigga in the UK. Well, obviously black people do. Like, yeah, no, for sure. But, but I'm like, saying like when somebody wants to be racist, like they don't. They do. Well, they definitely do, but I ain't, I ain't experienced it in a minute, yeah. to be honest. That's, that's, I mean, that's I awesome. You know what that does for your mental health, bro? But that's not to, but check this though, right? I feel like we were saying, would I, I feel like I prefer someone to be open about it than to know that they're talking about it behind closed doors, that. though. I get that. Because that's sneaky. Yeah. That's it's like even worse. It's like, that's 100%. Like stabbing you in the back. It's like, yeah, you that. know, this is not like you're putting on a facade for like a show for us mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know you're not really genuine. I know you really ain't, you know, playing with me right now. Mm-hmm. So why, why be like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think I'd rather it be out there. Black in the States. Yeah. Now, that, that, it's so remarkable to me because I, I think there's two layers for me here when I, because uh, like over the past couple of years, I've, I've done a lot of therapy, done a lot of like uh, life coaching stuff and like whatever, just to like peel back the layers of things that have kind of been pushed on me relatively. Because being first generation, it's very tough. It is. Right? Because my parents, they're very hardworking, but they don't understand the nuance mm. of being an African American. America, right? They just understand that they are immigrants, they have to work hard and then exit, build their house and go back home, right? For me, it's like, oh, no, I have to create an identity within their identity (laughs) and then try to segue that into being a, representing a shell of a color that is perceived to the outside world, right? Yeah. And then I have to filter that and figure out the duality of how I'm going to present myself. Correct. It's so tough. It's, it's like, hard, bro. It's it is easy, fucking bro. like, it is one of the most difficult things that I have to do because it's like, it, it gives you identity issues because one, when you come home to a Nigerian home, like a deep Nigerian home, there are qualities that exist in the home that do not necessarily air well in the outside world. Hmm. Like just the way that things are very intense. Yeah. You have a very strict guidelines of what you can and cannot do yeah it's not like i'm not saying it was the worst thing because it 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 taught taught me different things that have done me very well today but then there's like this westernized um there's there's this westernized part of like growing up right where it's kind of like a kid is a kid Mm. And Nigerian household, you are grown. You're an adult bro. at like seven or eight. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you should be working. I have my own business at seven. Washing plates, like hoovering <laughs> each day. I'm like, bro, isn't this what you? Isn't this what a parent should be doing? And you're getting me to do that, right, bro? It was it was regimented, man. Like it was hella regimented. Yeah. 
had hella routine, bro. Like, <laughs> come back from school, have to do like mental maths and all of this stuff. And I'm like, bro, I just want to chill. I've just gone from learning in one place to come home to be learning again. I just want to relax. Like, that's what school's for. Like, why am I doing extra at home when I don't need to? It's not even like it's homework. It's like you're giving me homework. You just want to torture me. Yeah, for real. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and you're trying to figure out as a kid, you're just like, no, you know, your white friends and counterparts, they ain't doing this. Yeah. Like, why we got to do this? Yeah, not at all. But look, check this out. I think, you know, I love and appreciate my parents for doing it because mm-hmm. I learned so much discipline, man. Mm-hmm. So much discipline. Like, mm-hmm. And I also think I learned just how to navigate the, the system. Sure. That's what I like to say. I think I just know how to navigate due to what, you know, how my parents brought me up. And, yeah. you know, I understand why they did certain things. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, raising my kids, it, it's going to be different. It's always different, right? Well, just, most of your classes were majority white people. Oh, yeah, standard. Yeah, yeah. standard. Like, yeah. it would be you and one other black person or... Yeah, maybe person. like a few, but not That's like... Crazy. Maybe like... Three, four, five-ish. Yeah. I wonder what the loads. population breakdown for London is as far as like... I think it's black. like... I think 4% of people are black. Four? Yeah, I think it's... Only or, is it nine, or is it 9%? Jesus. It's and not the, more than... Te- I don't think it's more than... Or, I don't think it's more than 10%. It might be, well, that but makes, I don't think it that is. That makes sense. That's yeah. where that... Okay. Yeah. 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 So, but, um, you know, I think... Um, when I went to, obviously, when you go to, like, university, obviously, you're mixed with hella people. It's, like, hella sure. international and stuff. Um, so th- some of those schools are some of the toughest. Yeah. Yeah, schools yeah. out in the UK. Yeah, they, especially, like, my school, I always tell people, like... What school my, you went to? It's just, what, like, as in, like, actual school? Like, high school type situation? No, 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 look, you were talking about college. Oh, yeah. okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, so, oh, University of Sussex, which is down in Brighton on the coast. It's south? Yeah, south. South, south London. It's on the coast. No, 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 like, outside of London. Oh yeah, 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 like completely. Like, is that still considered like going to school at home? No, no, no. I'm, huh, like, it's like a good like three hour journey. Oh, three hour journey. Yeah, or two. Yeah, around three hours from. Okay. Life, yeah. So you did. You, it's outside of London, but yeah. it's you, it's close enough where you can get home without a flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. everywhere in the, yeah, okay. in the UK. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you would just. That's just how the UK is just is. not that big. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, like, get to places really quickly. Mm. Okay, so, like, what was some of the things at university that you wanted to share? Oh, no, I was talking about, I was talking about school. I was talking about secondary school. So not Secondary school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, which okay, is like, so can you break down how the school system works? Because I'm confused. All right, so... You're talking about secondary school. Like, <laughs> so, all right, so there's, like, primary school. That's, like, year one to year six. So you're, like... First grade five, to sixth grade. Yeah, so you're, like, five to, like, 11. Okay. And then you go to secondary school, which is just 12 to either 16 or 18. Oh, so they split it into two, and then you go Correct. to... How, how long do you go to college for? Three years. Three years? Yeah, you guys do four, right? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that. I was like, that's weird. That's long. So you do three years in college, and then your business school, how long is business school? That was only like a year. That's it? Yeah, it was like a master's. It's just a year. What did you say? Yeah, they just, they just want to fucking oh, get money from us, bro. Yeah, yeah but is, uh, the education system is the biggest... Driver of uh, the economy in the uh, US, right? Yeah, I, I would, I would, or I would be surprised. It's one or two. It's one hundred percent. That I do know. It's one or two. Yeah. There, so it's There's, like the university system, like because here, looking back on it in retrospect, going to college is just for relationships, really. 
mm. like generally, yeah. Oh, yeah. unless 100%. you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Or it's like just that. yeah, it's just about getting that that life experience. That it's the same thing over there, or like you have to like, could you get a a, a high paying job without a degree there in London? Uh, mm, rare, rare. So if you have the degree, it's like. You're not guaranteed because then there's like levels to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like depends what college, sure. uni you went to, sure. what degree you did, uh-huh. what your grade was, and stuff. But but there's but generally, if you have a degree, you're getting a job. You're getting a job. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Because here, I think out of ten graduates, I don't know, Emma, you could look this stat up too. Out of ten graduates, how many are getting a job? Within the, the, what they studied for. Just in general, like. A job that is like, I don't know, like worth a professional reporting. Job, right? Yeah, yeah like professional job. Yeah. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like Not working job. at a fucking Target like a bar. Or so. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. it's that, definitely. It's. I know it's tough. I know it's like competitive, but I feel like here, I've heard stories. Here is a lot harder, is what I've heard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. In comparison to yeah, back in the UK, I'd say there's definitely jobs. Like market's tough. But, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So like, do you have siblings? I got two. Okay. Two younger sisters. One's twenty eight oh, and one's twenty three. Oh, so you were the babysitter growing up? Uh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, technically. Pretty much. Yeah. Like when parents were at work, you were like the parent. Yeah, nah. So I, we live hella so like hella of of our uncles came through from Nigeria, cousins ah, came through from the States. Yeah. So there were always people around. Yeah. There were always grandma, like there were always people around. Yeah. Always uh, had a busy household. Yeah, that's dope. So sick. Yeah, have that connection with the family too. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Learn a lot from a lot of uncles, funny guys. Yeah, funny stories. When the last time you been back to Nigeria? Twenty eighteen. So a minute now. Are you gonna open a location in Nigeria? I'd love to one day. Yeah, well, we gotta we gotta wait though. What is your <laughs> man? Tell me, what is your perspective about Nigeria at this point? Like, what, how uh, do you see it? Uh, so. It's, like I always tell, because I feel like a lot of other Nigerians I speak to, you know, even as you mentioned, like parents want to go, go back to Nigeria. My parents, nah, they don't want to go back. They do. Nah, they said it's too much hassle, man. Yeah. It is. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Nigeria is hella hassle, just due to the <laughs> political system is Shit. a bit techy. Yeah. It's not. Uh, and you know, with that, there's corruption. There's like stuff going on. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's a Nigeria's dope place yeah. if the right systems were put in place. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I always think about and dream about, you know, whether it'll be our generation or under who are the ones to actually make systemic change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I feel like Africa is slowly getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we hear of places such as um, Rwanda, um, for example, have like a really big tech ecosystem. They're very like, quite infrastructurally like progressive mm-hmm. um, and I think there's massive opportunity for, for that to just happen in other locations um, around Africa mm-hmm. um, but I do think you know our I do think it's important for our generations to be going back and you know keeping those links mm-hmm. um, and trying to see where we can, where we can impact even if it's just like being influential and inspirational yeah. to certain individuals yeah I see a lot of because I, I look at I've started to look at Y Combinator over the last year and a half, two years. Um, and a lot of the startups that have people of color are <clears throat> working on something in Africa, like, like the, yeah. in the fintech space. That's, Correct. that's a huge barrier. 
like Western Union is so dated. So dated. Like bro. to this day, like I can I can send my dad a wire through the bank, but there has to be a more efficient way to do like cross border payments. Look at Diego get comfy. Yeah, hella comfy, boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, wants to talk. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting, dude. So, like, I feel like. <clears throat> For one, Nigeria is a space where there's a ton of resources. There's just a shit ton of corruption, man. Um, but like this segues me to my next question. So like, what made you? What made you guys pick San Francisco as your launch market? Is just because it was the uh, the hub of like Silicon Valley in the sense of like it being a popular place, or was there something that were other driving forces for you to pick like San Francisco to move out here and start this thing? Yeah, my co-founder's wife got relocated by work. She works. Oh, so everything has worked out to kind of force you guys into like this space. Ah, wow. Which is kind of crazy. We look, uh, you know, we did a lot of like market research, though, Mm -hmm. and uh, across the states and the Bay Area was one that we got a lot of interest from when we were in London. So like. Were you like surveying people? Sorry? Surveying people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And. We were like, all right, cool. And then that happened, and then we're like, all right, well. We're supposed been, to be here. Yeah, I was like, decision's been made. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. So that yeah. was it, really. That was li- literally it. Yeah. And then you guys just hit the ground from zero. So what was like, what was like day, day 10 of this idea? Take me, from, take me from day zero to day 10 of this idea actually starting to happen. Wow. They, yeah, so day zero just involved me just reading a lot of documentation that Jamie had put together on the like wider landscape of like hotels, co-working spaces, social clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a lot of time during the previous uh, two Christmases ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, two Christmases ago, like trying to like understand mm-hmm. the market as mm-hmm. quick as I could. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, within those 10 days was like really trying to speak with, I guess, other players in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, like hotel people who worked in social clubs, people who worked in co-working. And like just trying to really understand, even from you know firsthand perspective, what what they felt you know was coming next, mm-hmm. how they felt COVID had impacted the market in general mm-hmm. um, in those spaces. Um, so that was day zero to day ten, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Okay, cool. So like from day ten to. Now, what are some of like the, I guess some of the pain points besides fundraising mm. and besides like logistical things that you've already touched on? What are some of the pain points that you personally have grown from? Some of the pain points, I would say a massive pain point, which is still a pain point, but it's one that we balance off is just prioritization. Mm. So this, this is like a big thing that I feel like all product managers, startups, everyone, literally like it's, it's it's spoken about because you always need you know the thing is is you always need to be working on the most important thing because there's a million things you could be working on um in startups like you've got the whole premise is like have a lean team because you can actually like oh you can you can you can like make capacity for doing actually a lot of work right um to be honest and yeah. so every day i'm trying to figure out you know from a from a product perspective, from a technical perspective, you know what what we should be building, how we should be like, you know, what growth channels we should be using mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as I say, 
as well as like dealing with like physical a physical asset, mm. there's like operations on the ground that we also need to be dealing with. Like day to day. Yeah, yeah. like day to day. Like oh, for example, the coffee machine broke recently, and it's like none of the team could like work out how it fit. Like it works, and then we've got to like send it back to the manufacturers. All of this jazz. So I'm trying to deal with that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. As well as dealing with like, all right, how are we gonna grow this business? What markets are we gonna tackle? Mm-hmm. So like I always say to people, like, you should always whenever you come to like a crossroads and you're trying to understand what's the most important thing, list out everything you're working on and just figure out like what's the one thing you cannot not do? Like, if you were not to do that, would you die from it? <laughs> and if you would, then that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So that's, that, that, that's definitely an ongoing pain point and learning uh, curve and experience. Um, but, you know, as well as that, I think I always tell people, like, I'd never worked in growth before. Um, and, you know, I feel like a lot of startups and even just in the past, like, eight decade, you know, it's always been about how do we, how do we grow as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the market landscape has changed. Um, people aren't fundraising as much naturally. So, you know, there's a term that I think Paul Graham, um, the co-founder of Y Combinator, uh, used in a blog post saying, "Company startups nowadays need to be default alive versus default dead, which mm-hmm. traditionally startups are. Um, because, you know, you're 99.99% of startups will die anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not able to raise capital due to market conditions, which we're currently seeing, mm-hmm you need to figure out how to become profitable really quick, Mm -hmm. which somewhat goes against the traditional, I guess, sort of philosophy of like trying to grow as fast as you can, as quick as you can. Don't Mm -hmm. worry, investors are always going to inject cash into your business. Mm -hmm. So that has been a big challenge um, because we're always trying to figure out how to be as lean as possible, how not to spend as much money Mm -hmm. um, and give ourselves... Yeah, exactly. And give ourselves like the best opportunity to succeed. Sure. And it's just it's di- it's just difficult, man. Sure. Like every month I feel like we're doing some budget exercise and <laughs> trying to see, all right, we shouldn't spend on this again. Don't do this. Okay, we need this and that. So yeah. um because you know, it costs to grow. Yeah. Um 100%. So it's trying to like yeah, trying to get that balance is it's a tricky task. And yeah. I'm fortunate that Jamie is, as I say, very meticulous, very on the numbers. Yeah. Um, so it's usually his job as CEO. Thank you, thankfully. Um, he deals with all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, myself and Trim is just really to continue focusing on, like, the technical side and how we can really create something that people love. Yeah, yeah. That's dope. Um, how have you grown personally from this experience? I, some some thing, main things you can look back on where you're like, damn, I, I did that, man. I'm proud of myself. Look, I moved here with... N- I, well, I moved here with a long-distance girlfriend who I'm not, like, longer with. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved here on my own to an extent. Just like, because, like, Jamie moved here with his wife. Like, yeah. You know, her company, Man, so really were relocating them. I was just coming on my ones. <laughs> like, you know, obviously I was third-wheeling them, but I was doing my own thing. And it's tough, man, because, like, I've got a flat in London that I've just bought. So I'm like, all right, well, and now I have to figure this out. Yeah. At a car and all of this stuff, I've had to like just relocate my whole life. <laughs> it ain't easy being the only person trying to figure it out. Yeah, very very tough. I'm very thankful for my parents for helping, family and friends and stuff. Yeah, They're big support. But I I never thought I'd be able to do this. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Like just move to the other side of the world and what start a start like start a start. Like, what? <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. That is crazy to me. To yeah. now think, but to think that I've managed to do that. You know, we're like a year plus in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 
ground floor is, you know, doing doing relatively well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like super proud of like, you know, obviously the team and everyone, but even just myself, man. I definitely like had to push myself. Like mentally, it's a battle, man, mm-hmm. because all my friends, my support group, are all back in the UK sure. at the start, anyways, initially, mm-hmm. and I'm like. Well, I'm 30 as well, so I'm not like out in the streets like mm-hmm. trying to constantly have a good time. I've come here for a purpose. I've mm-hmm. come here to grow a business. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to like balance that social life and trying to do work stuff and not having your traditional peer support group mm-hmm. even close by, not mm-hmm. even within like a two-hour flight journey or five-hour flight journey. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I've definitely like just matured yeah. as like a human being from that. Yeah. It made a ton of relationships too. Yeah, and obviously, I think a, a huge like benefit that you guys have being in this like business model is that your business is people. Correct. So it's like one person. Like so, in the past life of mine, I used to run a nightclub, and uh, the owner is he's still one of my mentors. We don't we don't communicate as much, um, but he definitely taught me some great life lessons. Um, and I always like think back to this one thing where he told me like whenever you're interacting with somebody, you're really interacting with three people, mm. right? Because you, right now, if I was to say, hey, we got this dope event that's going on and you're like into it, necessarily, I mean, in your situation, you may come by yourself, but there's obviously one or two people that you may reach out to be like, yo, pull up with me, I got two tickets, yeah. right? Or this is it. So like, it's one of these things where it's like, if I'm speaking to you and I have a good presentation and you like my vibe, you're going to speak well about me to someone else. Yeah, for sure. And that creates that, that web, right? Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine what some of the network you guys have at your spaces now. Um, so for the San Francisco one, like, what, what, are, what do the memberships look like, just so that the people know? Like, they kind of understand how it breaks down. How, from, from application to acceptance, what does that look like? And then when you're in there, what does like the subscription look like and how does that roll out? Yeah, so um, you need to apply to ground floor um, mm-hmm. just via our website. Super simple application. Um, and then what we do is we reach out to individuals that we think could benefit from ground floor. There's mm-hmm. certain questions that are asked in the application to try and vet what people are really looking for, what their mm-hmm. intentions are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we have like a Zoom call. Um, so want to keep that like you know interpersonal uh, sort of connection um with them to really try and grasp grasp that um mm-hmm. and just learn more about them i always tell people it's like a le- it's like a learning session it's like for you to get to know us and vice versa because i think especially with like a community product it's a two-way exchange mm-hmm. i think a lot of people m- miss the fact that to build community you need two parties to be of the same collective mindset mm-hmm. um in order to go forward. If not, then there's nothing really. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to like really understand that um, with those individuals and then post that. Um, we invite them for a tour um, of, of the space. They get to meet one of our like, community team. Mm-hmm. Um, and just another opportunity again to start to understand like the vibe, the atmosphere, and mm-hmm. also like for our community team to also like get to know them a bit better. Um, once again, trying to like reaffirm this like relationship that we've already built through mm-hmm. this like application process today and mm-hmm. then you know certain individuals i always tell individuals that like you know no one's really rejected outright it's very rare um but it's more a case of like sometimes it just might not be the right time and also we de- don't always make the right decisions um you know it's it's a people business it can be tough you're going based off of impression and what people say so you know it's 
that that that's the sort of like process anyways mm-hmm. um and then when you're in um you get accepted um it's like a 200 dollars like monthly membership mm-hmm. um that includes like access to all our spaces unlimited like coffee which people seem to love um as well as like member only events and those range from like book clubs panel discussions all the way through to like dinner parties like food experiences and whatnot mm-hmm. um and you know people come there as i say it's a place that's open seven days a week so people come and just drop in um have a chat do some work just or just like focus on themselves mm-hmm. um so it's really a really mixed sort of space yeah. um and yeah and that's and that's really the business model it's the subscription so it works month to month yeah yeah so are there just it's just one subscription for 200 or is there yes. like an exclusive membership no 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 just get? one just one just okay. one okay but you know i always tell individuals like we're trying to make ground floor as representative as exclusive as possible it's the reason we offer out ground floor scholarships as well to the individuals from lesser financial backgrounds as well that's dope because you know we always talk about socially progressive discourse and i think for one to have those conversations you need everyone to be from the spectrum in that room yeah and that's not really possible yeah you don't have for example if you're isolating a set amount of people based yeah so. that sounds like the government <laughs> <laughs> okay so all right cool so what are some of like the key benefits of like and you know you can go into examples if you like but like if somebody's like yo that sounds like a super dope idea i would love to be a part of it what are some of the benefits of like being a part of like ground floor i think you know i think number one obviously other than like physical space having going to a beautiful space which mm-hmm. you know, helps boost productivity and just creativity People should never worry about professional opportunities because I think they come as a byproduct of authentic relationship. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, my general belief on networking, I'm a bit like, mm, not too key, not too sure about it mm-hmm. um, because I think it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like one's trying to leverage another person mm-hmm. for something. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily the right way to do business. Especially um, initially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that, that's definitely the biggest benefit of ground floor is uh, being in a space where you can, you know, diversify um, your horizon with other individuals. Yeah, yeah, we can we can wrap things up. Um, well, yeah, I think that we had definitely have to get a tour. Yeah. Or is that or is that exclusive to like no, when you, you start your membership? Oh yeah, they can get a tour. You just book it on the website. Super easy. Groundfloorclub.com. Okay. All right. I definitely want to see the space. I think that this is like a super sick idea.